Good afternoon. It's Chickie Fitzgerald. It is Friday, December 12, 2014, and today we are going to talk about leadership. And our guest today is Mindy Hall, and uh, Mindy has her PhD. So do I call you Dr. Mindy or? <laughs> oh, please, just Mindy. <laughs> All right, perfect. Well, uh, Mindy, I am so excited about this particular topic today. Uh, your book is called Leading with Intention. And, you know, I know so many people get thrown into leadership roles, you know, if they've been with a company for any length of time, you know, the, the path for moving ahead is normally being promoted into leadership. But they don't always know how to lead with with intention. So I think uh, this is a perfect topic for a Friday afternoon after people have been through their week and, and you know, had time to reflect on what went right and what went wrong. And uh, so I would just love to dive in and hear a little bit about you before we talk about your book. Sure, Chickie. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, I have a, a consulting practice that I've had for about 19 years. Um, and we deal primarily in areas of organization development, leadership development, uh, team development, and HR practitioner development. So essentially helping HR folks get deeper in their OD skills, their organization right. development skills. Um, before that, I, I was in a uh, pharmaceutical company for about 10 years. Before that, the Bank of New York. And before that, I ran a 24-hour crisis center. And I say all the time I'm surprised how transferable the skills from crisis center work to corporate America were. <laughs> well, but, it's just a different kind of different flavor of crisis. <laughs> there was a, a lot more transferability than I than I thought there might be. But right. um, essentially, I do work now in, in again, the same categories um, of work that I did inside a company. And so, you know, I say all the time I get to do work I love with people I respect. And I don't know that it gets much better than that. No, it doesn't. Well, I love the subtitle uh, un under your book's title, which is Every Moment is a Choice. And uh, one of the other things I saw uh, was on your Twitter feed, you talked about leadership as a calling. And, you know, I, I talked a little bit about accidental leadership, which is uh, what I think has happened to a lot of people in the business world. Uh, why don't we just dive right in uh, to the book? But first, why don't you tell us what got you to the place where you decided that putting all of this in a book was, was where you needed to go? Yeah, you know, this um, started, Chicky, back in the, the early 90s, believe it or not. And I was a, um, a young, you know, bright-eyed professional um, in a pharmaceutical company, and I went in to hear a presentation from one of our senior vice presidents about an acquisition the company was making. Um, and so a very important meeting, and we all kind of settled in to the classic, you know, reception mode um, of listening to somebody talk. And the senior VP went to the front of the room, and he flipped the front, of a, uh, front page of a flip chart pad over, and there written on the paper were two words, and it just said, be here. And he didn't say anything more about it. He, he left it up throughout the meeting. And it really got me thinking, how many people were really, quote, there? How many were present to the meeting? How many right. were not? And if they weren't, why weren't they? And I think, you know, when I think back about where the seed of this book started, um, I think it was that meeting and thinking about the choices people make in their leadership. Right. Um, you know, I really wrote the book to help leaders become much more self-aware of how they impact a room and really realize 
the their impact in a room and the tone that it sets and the ball that it sets in motion. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that I say all the time is that the number one way that culture gets shaped is by what leaders model. And so I really wrote it to help leaders ratchet up their ability to be much more intentional about how they showed up and what they modeled because it has huge implications for what happens in the organization in terms of what gets achieved, um, how people bring their discretionary effort to work, and right. it really is something that is a controllable variable. Well, that, that sets up uh, what I wanted to talk about first, because you start the book with a chapter called Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, mm-hmm. and recognizing your impact. And I, I'll tell you just from my own career, when I actually, I, I've spent half of my business life in corporate America and half now out. And when I was in corporate America, I never had any clue how I impacted other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I recognize now that I was a bit of a bull in, in a China shop. And all of the skills that have made me successful in consulting were ones that I honed when I was in corporate life. But I was always the one who couldn't stand the status quo. And as a result, um, you know, I, I was a bull in, in the China shop. So how, how do you do that assessment of, of how do other people see you and how do you become more self-aware? You know, it, it, it boils down to, um, I'm going to say choice, but also being open to your own learning. So recognizing your impact really just begins with self-awareness um, and understanding and an ownership of the, the contribution you make to any dynamic. And we all do this, right? We all contribute to any dynamic that we find ourselves in. Um, and intention is really just a determination to act in a certain way. You know, so much of what happens in the course of our days is really a result of patterns um, that have worked for us in the past or, or maybe intuition. And there are lots of great leaders that get by on intuition. And, you know, there are, uh, I would say, about 75 to 80% of the folks that I've worked with over the, you know, the 20-plus years in this practice, those people um, have been really wonderful leaders, but they haven't really operated as intentionally as they could. And once they understood how to do that better, um, once they got much more aware of their impact, they, they stood in the moment and watched themselves in the moment. And I say, you know, if, think about if you were on the receiving end of an exchange, how would you be experiencing the exchange, in, an exchange with you, right? And right. so I think that, that much of what this is is about working the muscle of it. It's, it's having... Um, it's moving it from intuition to intention. It's moving it from reaction to conscious choice. It's really getting folks to understand that this is in their hands. They decide how they want to show up, and they, get, they can make those choices every single day. Right. So you, you talk a little bit about getting, getting input and, and noticing yourself through another's eyes. Mm-hmm. How do you recommend that, that people do that? Because, you know, Quite often people will come up unsolicited and, and tell you what they think. Is that what you're addressing, or, or are you talking about actually going and asking someone, you know, what was your take on, on how I was received? So for me, um, it's not the unsolicited feedback, although we all have been recipients of that. <laughs> so right. um, this for me is, is finding somebody that you feel safe with that who it could be a peer inside the organization, could be somebody external, an external coach to the organization. It doesn't have to be um, always external, but 
you know, is there somebody who can see you in the course of your daily actions and feel safe to you in terms of being able to say, tell me how I showed up. Tell me how I landed in the room. You know, when I said this, right. what did you see around the room? And really, it's really another set of eyes that help you read the dynamics of the situation. Very interesting. You know, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, a number of folks mentoring me. And, and one of the things, uh, again, that you talk about in this first part about recognizing your impact is really determining how you can make a difference and to use the power that you do have intentionally. So once you've found out from this other uh, individual how you're seen and, and, and how you come off, how can you channel that? And, and again, I, I was talking about my, my own power, which comes off too, too strong sometimes. Um, so how do you use that power intentionally and you know, to leave an impact and make a difference? You know, there's really um, two kinds of power um, that I talk about in the book. One is positional and one is personal power. And we probably all know somebody who has positional power, which means that they hold the high seat, um, they have the um, declared authority, and, um, but perhaps they don't have personal power. And that, mean, that is you know, somebody who can move an organization emotionally, who people are drawn to. Um, and there are lots of people who are sitting lower in organizations in terms of their level who have a lot of personal power, but maybe not the positional power. And so when I talk about using your power intentionally, when, because the book was geared to leaders, and, and I wasn't necessarily thinking of level in an organization, but when you're in a leadership position, you have the ability to impact a lot of different lives. And so for me, I, I say, you know, if you are sitting in a place of positional power, make sure that you're thinking about your own personal power. And again, that links back to impact, right, and intention. So know that your actions set a ball in motion. Know that you are 100% responsible for the tone you set. And if you walk into a room and, um, you know, you have a certain attitude, you better believe that that's exactly the attitude that will then become part of the room. And so I, I ask people to really be intentional about using their power um, for the good and being mindful of that. And those folks who sit in high positions, you know, they're, um, they're under a microscope and, and what they do gets amplified. And so, you know, I have a great story about that. I once worked in a company and there was a very jovial, gregarious general manager. And the company had gone through a very difficult time. They had had a lot of layoffs. They were, but they were on the, the way back. They were kind of coming back up the curve. And this um, general manager was in the CEO's uh, office, and these two offices sat at the opposite ends of hallways. And he came out of the office, and his nature was, as he walked from one end of the hallway to the other end, that he would, he would interact with people. And on this particular day, he came out of the meeting with the CEO, had his head down, was looking at some papers, and he walked by you know, all of the um, offices and the administrative assistants from one end of the hallway to the other. And he didn't interact with anybody, which was rare, but it, it just kind of was what was going on for him that day. By the time he got to his office, his administrative assistant came into his office and said, are we having more layoffs? Oh, my goodness. And essentially what happened is people had ascribed meaning 
to the fact that he didn't interact with them. And because of the context, which was the history of just going through a really difficult time, they had created a story around that. And so his power in that moment, you know, set a ball in motion unintentionally and certainly not apparent to him, but one that could have, if his admin hadn't come in and said, hey, is this going on? Let me tell you why I'm asking, because two people have already called me and asked. And so, you know, and he was shocked by that and actually called me and said, I was working with him in a coaching capacity. And he said, I had no idea um, the impact, the unintentional impact sometime of my behavior and how that gets amplified. And the higher you go in the organization, the more that becomes um, becomes part of what you have to be attentive to. Very interesting. So in the second part of the book, um, you talk about how it really takes practice uh, to lead with intention. And, yeah. and the, the headline on the chapter is Rome was not built in a day. <laughs> and the thing I love about this section of the book is you give us uh, eight very, very practical, uh, really simple questions that we can ask of ourselves. And and I think the story you just told um, you know, certainly addresses question number one, which is what kind of environment do you create? And it's important to make that, um, that contextual link between how are you normally behaving mm-hmm. and is there something unusual about today? Mm-hmm. So you, you then move on um, to are you clear about your intentions? Because, you know, how many times have we all heard, oh, I didn't mean for you to take it that way. Right. right. I didn't mean for you to see my actions in that light. So how do you be clear about your intentions? So this is a little bit of um, matching intention with impact, right? And so um, part of what I talk about in this chapter is is really um, the planfulness in which you you operate in your day. And you know, what people have said to me, well, wow, I don't operate. I mean, I'm, I can't do this you know, 150% of the time, Mindy. I can't be this planful. And I understand that. And I think that's true. You know, some day, our days come at us and we are reacting constantly to stimulus that is coming at us. But there are instances in where you can, you can do that better. And so one of the tools that I put in the book was this little tool called a two plus two. And, um, you know, we, we all know, and as the story just illustrated, perception really shapes reality. And when we walk into a meeting, you know, I ask everybody, are you clear about the intentions that you have for the meeting, right? Have you, have you thought about the dynamics in the room and the key points you want to make, maybe questions you want to ask, how you want to show up, or, and this is more the case, have you rushed into the room from another meeting? You know, <laughs> right. you're running late for the meeting, no real sense of, perhaps what you're walking into in terms of the dynamics of the context or even the contribution you want to make. And so, unfortunately, that second one seems to be much more the norm in these days. And it, it, you miss an opportunity to lead from a much more intentional place. And so I give people this tool and I say, you know, before the next meeting you go into, and it could be as you're walking to the meeting, it doesn't have to take a lot of time, you know, do the following. Think about the dynamics in that room. So what's the context, right? Is this a new group? Is it not a new group? Are you new to them? You know, are you in a big position of power? Is it a meeting to make a decision? Is it a meeting just to have a conversation? All of those things make up the context. And think about the agenda of the meeting. 
And then behind that, think about two questions you want to ask related to that topic and two thoughts you'd like to contribute. And I call it the two plus two. And really, Chicky, the, the simple act of being clear in your own mind about two things you want to ask and two things you want to contribute helps you come across more grounded and more prepared and more present. And so that's the, you know, it's, it's working that muscle. And what I hope to do in the book is really give people lots of tips and pithy little notes and tools that they can immediate, immediately apply. In fact, you know, when I, um, when I wrote this, before it was printed, I did a field test. And um, I asked three colleagues to, on cross-country flights to take the book. And I asked them three questions. And, of course, I asked them to read it on these cross-country flights. Right. And I asked them three questions. One, did it hold their attention? Could they finish it in one or two sittings? And was there something that they could immediately apply after they got off the flight? And it was because I really wanted this book to be, you know, when you talked about, you know, it's short and simple and easily applied. That's what I wanted um, in terms of it being something that you you could immediately apply, but you could think about for a lifetime. I'm, right. You know, it was, well, I got and great feedback. Some of these feedback. questions are very deep. Uh, number three, and, and I think about how many times I've done this myself, do you have preconceived notions of a person or a situation? And I've yeah. got a funny story to tell on my side of um, my daughter uh, is 16, and she's got her first boyfriend. And her boyfriend's mother, when you look at her from afar, looks just like Snow White. I mean, she's beautiful. Um, you know, she looks to be the perfect mother, which she is, and, you know, just takes beautiful care of her house, is, you know, both a stay-at-home mom and, uh, you know, has this beautiful store that uh, that she contributes to. And I had a preconceived notion from looking at her from afar um, that she may not be very deep intellectually, and it turns out she is amazing on that front, and we have had some of the deepest conversations ever. But when I saw her, I, I, didn't, I didn't put that together. And I had a similar situation last week. I was in a business meeting with uh, some people I had never met, and it was a young, blonde woman in her 20s. And her initial reactions when we were talking were very much uh, fitting that picture she was painting. But then as soon as she started talking about her products, holy cow, she knew her stuff. So why do we do that? And, and how does that impact what people think about us? You know, how does this fit into intentional leadership? So there's a, an old tool that came out of MIT um, by a guy by the name of Chris Arduous, and it was called the Ladder of Inference. And essentially what it says is that, you know, we will – um, we'll make up stories to fill in voids of information. And we do that mm-hmm. as a survival mechanism in some regards, right? So we have lots of tes- tacit mental models. You go to a light switch, you expect that when you turn the light switch or flip it, a light's going to go on. It's a, it's a tacit mental model. And we actually couldn't take in all the stimulus that we get in one day without some of these just basic mental models of the way the world works. Right. But how, what happens is that that translation goes over to, your, your example is perfect. Um, it goes over to our interactions with other people. And we often get these mental models of people, and then we fill in the void with more and more data that, that supports our mental model of that person. Right. 
And we do that to, to shorthand it a little bit. And we do that based on, you know, previous experiences with other people. So, you know, you saw her and she looked like Snow White. And so that led you down a path of thinking, you know, what that person would be like. And the way you start to not let those be um, the only way that you come to your conclusions in the world is that you ask yourself, what story am I making up? Right. And it's just a little pause, right, of, of being aware that we all come to the world with mindsets. And they're not inherently good or bad. They're, they're actually a necessary part of how we function. They help filter out data, you know, the amount of data that we have coming at us. Right. But they can be really dangerous if you never question them. Well, and, and I love that being the next question is, do you challenge your mindsets? And I would go further to, do you surround yourself with other people who challenge your mindsets? That's a great or question. Do you, do you have a bunch of yes men around you? Yep. Uh, because I think that being challenged is so, so important for my own style. You know, there's a, a great story. Roger Bannister um, was the first man to run a a sub four minute uh, four minute mile, and he did that um, in the early fifties. I think it was nineteen fifty four. And before he did that, nobody thought it was possible to run that distance um, in less than four minutes. But after he did it, two months after he did that, two more individuals ran sub four minute miles. And so, you know, it is about you know, do you surround yourself? Great question with people who who challenge what you think is possible, who challenge your mindsets. And once that happens, you know, there's all kinds of other possibilities that open up because you see a new way of seeing something that's possible. Very interesting. I, I think that also ties into the next one of, of really how open are you to your own learning. And, and I know when I interview people uh, for, for any position, um, I am always looking for intellectual curiosity as, as mm-hmm. one of the most important things and, you know, what do they read or, or what, uh, you know, how do they feed that need that we have to learn? Well, in the, the, um, the best leaders, and this is anecdotal, um, you know, from my experience, I, I feel like the best leaders that I get to work with are those that are open to their own learning. Um, I think that they, they're not afraid to be a bit vulnerable and not have all the answers. And I think what that does is it creates a, um, a humanity about them that allows people to feel more connected to them. Um, so it's not just the simple act of, of their learning and the benefit that they get, but it's what they put out. And again, here's that ball in motion that they set um, simply by the way they're being, right. that they set this ball in motion of, um, of modeling that to an organization. I think that draws people closer to them. Definitely, definitely. And this next one I know uh, can, can be a sore spot with some people. Um, question six is all about integrity. Do you do what you say you're going to do? Yeah, the, the number one way you build trust is that you do what you say you're going to do. Um, and, you know, I think that um, I have a story in the book, somewhere in the book about you know, a leader who came in and said, um, okay, we don't get together much. We're a global team. I'd really like us all to be very present to this meeting. No laptops, no, no at the time, Blackberries, no iPhones. And um, after the, about, I think it was about an hour and a half into the meeting, um, she pulled out her laptop <laughs> and, and went to look at, you know, an email. 
And she didn't tell anybody what she was doing. She just did that. Now, I think it would have landed a little bit differently if she said, hey, guys, listen, I just need to look at one thing, um, you know, that's come up this morning. But she didn't do that. And watching around the room, people started, you know, the, the bubbles over the heads were, I thought we weren't having any laptops and Blackberries. Right. And it started to undermine her credibility in terms of what she said she wanted. And so, you know, not in a dramatic way, but in a subtle way, people started saying, can I trust what she says? Right. And, and she and I had that conversation on the first break. She did something that was wonderful. She came back and she said, listen, guys, I know what I said to open this meeting. And I apologize. I was the first to break that and that won't happen again. And it changed the entire tenor of the meeting because she was willing, again, to be open to her own learning, acknowledge it, right, and right. then we just moved on um, and, everybody, and had a much more present off audience through the rest right. of the meeting. Well, I, I think one of the other things, and, and our audience uh, for this particular show uh, happens to be largely female leaders, and I think we get so used to so over-promising. And, and then mm-hmm. it really is hard to over-deliver <laughs> when you over-promise. Um, yep. I know in, in my role as a consultant, one of the things that I do is I never say I will deliver something on a Friday afternoon. First of all, nobody will read it if I do deliver it on a Friday <laughs> afternoon. But I've learned to say that I will deliver it Monday morning or I will deliver it Thursday morning so that if I have to stay up all night to finish something, that I won't be late. Mm-hmm. I, I might be sleep deprived, but, um, you know, so being able to judge what you're capable of doing. So not just the example that you gave of actually saying something and then breaking it, but, but actually the time sensitive part of doing things when you say you're going to do, which yeah. is every bit as much an integrity thing. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more, and I think some of that is being generous with yourself, mm-hmm. right? In uh, terms absolutely. Of, in terms of uh, not trying to to do everything for everybody in a time frame that doesn't work for you. Right. And and question number seven, uh, I remember the first time uh, back when I was in corporate life, I was with uh, Sabre uh, in Dallas, which was a, a large uh, travel technology company, and we did one of those 360 assessments where mm-hmm. you heard from your boss and you heard from your coworkers, and, and if you did have direct reports, you heard from them about how they would describe you as a leader. And And so your question number seven is just that, how would others describe you as a leader? So if you don't have that kind of formal process in your company, how do you solicit that? Again, I think it's finding somebody who you feel safe with, right? And I don't, I don't think it needs to necessarily be a formal process. I can tell you when I do uh, 360s with people, I always do them in a qualitative fashion. I don't do the, the web-based numerical 360s anymore because I don't think you get the, the value of data you know, do you really know what the difference is between a 2.6 on a question and a 2.8? <laughs> you don't have any any sense of what that actually means. And so, no, and no context of, of how they would rate someone else exactly, either. Exactly. And so, so I ask questions that are, are qualitative. But again, I don't think that needs to be reserved for somebody external. You can... You can ask those. You can ask those questions yourself of a peer, you know, and and to get that, you can ask those questions of of not a peer, of somebody above you, below you, in getting that kind of feedback. I think it it is um, about how open you are to receiving that information. You right. Know, we 
I think that's the big piece. And the people who are willing to be get feedback like that and ask for feedback, I just think um, folks feel much more connected to them because they feel like they're more human. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. So the last question uh, in this series of, of these eight critical questions to help you practice leading with intention is why do you do the work that you do? Because you, you can't be intentional if you don't know where you're going. <laughs> Well, and I think Some that people do. <laughs> well, I think there are a lot of people actually that arrive at a point in their life and they're they're like, "How did I get here?" and and why am I here? Um, I recall a gentleman when I was launching this practice, um, he said to me, "Wow, you're lucky. I always wanted to do that." And I said, "Why don't you?" And you know, at that point he said, "Well, I have three kids and who are in college and, you know, and, and life had kind of taken over in terms of right. what he had to be able to deliver to maintain his life, right? But I think that so often we don't ask enough, why do you do, why do, you do what you do? And right. for me, this is much more about being um, clear about what you're passionate about, clear about what really jazzes you. Because, you know, even though it's an old adage, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe it, which is, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. Mm-hmm. And it may not follow as quickly as you want it to. Right. <laughs> but, but I do believe that if you tap into those things that you are passionate about, um, that opportunities present themselves. And so this question in terms of, of really working the muscle of intentionality is be intentional about what you want to do in this world, about what you want to contribute. And ask yourself, why am I doing this work? What is it about it? Um, that jazzes me. What's my purpose? You know, I, I think it's interesting then that you lead into uh, talking about communication because if you are not intentional in your communication, you may be the only one who knows the answers to all of those things that you just found out about yourself. Mm-hmm. And and so how how do you reshape how you tell your story, um, you know, how, how you customize the way that you communicate with people. So we, we all um, create stories to try to make sense of our world. And, um, you know, we, given very little information, we will quickly make up our own narratives about a situation or a person, and then, then we'll operate behind that lens. And that's that, that letter of inference that we referenced earlier but when the story of you is something that you can manage, it's kind of ridiculous not to manage it. Um, you know, I hear time and again from people, I will let my hard work speak for itself. <laughs> and, and that's a really nice sentiment. But the reality is that hard work often doesn't speak for itself, or at least it doesn't tell the whole story. Um, you have to, to speak for your hard work. And so, you know, I know there's a couple chapters in here. One is about being a communications department of one, and that's really, you know, talking about um, taking communications as a critical leadership skill that you have to have rather than farming it out to a communications department. But the other right. piece of that is, you know, really managing the story of you. And, um, and that, that comes down to being clear about what that story is that you want people to have of you and not being naive and saying, you know, my hard work will just speak for itself. Um, I know many examples of people who have done fantastic, wonderful, hard work, but haven't been clear about the fact that they wanted to be, let's say, an expatriate, or they wanted a different opportunity in a different functional area. 
And, and so they haven't managed that proactively. And those opportunities pass them by and they say, wow, how come nobody asked me if I wanted that? And I say, because they didn't know. <laughs> you know? And so right. they're not going to know unless you, unless you help them know. Um, and so this communications piece is, is really, you know, it comes in a lot of different dimensions. One is about the story of you. One is about the communications in an organization. You know, there, another aspect of it is about, you know, your nonverbal and verbal um, ways of communicating. And there's an old, um, an old percentage or an old study that says 55% of what people pick up in our communications is nonverbal. You know, 38% is tone and 7% are the words we use. Right. And so, you know, all of those together, it's thinking about all of those things together, whether it's communication out from a position of leadership or just the, the internal story of you that you're managing in the organization. Right. Well, and, and the next section of the book, and, and we don't have time to go into it in, in detail, but really is about the issue of the fact that no one works alone. And I, I worked in, in a company for a number of years as an individual contributor, mm-hmm. um, which really was the best for my personality, as it turns <laughs> out. Um, but, but even in that role, I, I didn't work alone. And, and you do have impact within your organization. Is there a particular story out of this section of the book that you'd like to share? Um, you know, I think that for me, it's, it's thinking about, uh, I'll, I'll use um, a lofty story of, of Kennedy, right? Kennedy said, we're going to put a man on the moon. And, um, and the story is in the book, and it's, I think it's one that many people might already know. And he was, um, he was I guess, at, at Cape Canaveral, maybe. I'm not sure the location. I apologize. Um, but he came across a janitor. And he said, you know, he introduced himself and he said, you know, what's your job? And he said, and the janitor said, my job is to put a man on the moon. Mm. And, you know, it, it really was about, while Kennedy claimed this and everybody attributed that wonderful achievement to one man, it certainly wasn't one man that made that happen. And nobody works alone in an organization. We all are impacted and impact others. And so while, while we all have moments of great achievement, none of us stand in those moments of achievement without having had others who are around us that either helped us or got in our way, quite frankly. Right, um, right. You know, and so that, that's really the, the essence of that chapter or of that section is to talk mm-hmm. about, you know, you, you don't stand in any of these moments or you don't work in your organizations by yourself. So it really is about how are you impacting the organizations in which you work and how are you impacted by them? Right, right. Very interesting. Um, actually, the last part of the book is my favorite uh, okay. because giving back, and, and uh, you, you use the term paying it forward, um, talks about the ripple effect of your life. And, of course, this time of year we, we all watch It's a Wonderful Life and we see what happens uh, when George Bailey uh, you know, isn't around and how his whole world uh, just changes for the worse. Uh, we don't all get the benefit of seeing that. Um, but if you are being intentional about the future and looking around you, and if you're a parent you know, and you see your, your own children and how you can help them grow into who they are, um, you know, th- this, uh, again, can be a really, really important part of your own leadership is making sure you understand uh, your, your impact on other people, that, that ripple effect. You know, it's... Um... You make a, an interesting point, um, Chicky. The, 
I wrote this book really for leaders, but what's been one of the most exciting parts of this is that I'm hearing from parents. I'm hearing from Mm -hmm. uh, people in their personal lives who are saying, you know what, this isn't reserved for the hallways of corporate America. And, and so I'm excited about that. I, I knew that inside of myself. I didn't know if it would resonate that way. And I hear a have... book coming on parenting with intention. <laughs> Somebody asked me that the other day, actually. And and it was every just... moment is a choice. That isn't <laughs> any more true than in parenting. Exactly. But it was. Um, it's been fun for me to to see that. And you know, I think that for me, the one of the the biggest pleasures I have is when I hear somebody who I've worked with use either a phrase. Or a, or a concept that I've shared. Um, and I, I love that because I hear them doing that with others. And, you know, it's, it feels to me like, okay, I've tossed this pebble in the pond and, I, and those ripples are happening. Um, and I, I really, for me, that is um, a wonderful thing to see happen. I love when it happens. I love being in a meeting and hearing somebody use a phrase that, that we used in their coaching. You know, and and they are now owning it, um, right? And you know, first first of all, you know they listened, which right, is exactly. also important. Exactly, and you know, I just I probably have you know a a big vision in my head. I think that the, the simple practice of being more intentional really has the capacity to change the world. Um, and I know that sounds lofty, um, but I think it's a choice. I you know. If you can imagine living in a future where the vast majority of people are mindful of their impact or right. intentional about how they show up and um, conscious in the choices they're making, I just think of how differently our organizations, our world, our government would operate. And, and so I don't think it's a utopian fantasy. I really, I really think it's a choice. And um, I really think that it are the, it's the, it boils down to simple things that everybody can do. It's not a big program. They have to, you know, pay a lot of money and go through. It's, it's choices that they make. And I well, have, it, it is very simple, Mindy. And, and I, I love how you start the preface of the book because what you say is every interaction has an opportunity. Every action has an impact. Every moment is a choice. Are you choosing the impact that you want to have? And, Mindy, this, this book is, is so practical. And, again, I, I, I think it's a great point that you, you can read it with many different hats on. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm always one to read a book with, a, you know, a marker or a pen in hand. And, you know, other people, you know, it's sacrilege to write in a book. But, I mean, that, that's just what I do. And, and I use the empty pages at the back, you know, to make my notes about what I want to do with what I learned. So uh, this, this book is that book that can help you uh, actually lead with intention, uh, which I know is, is your dream for all of us. So, Mindy, I am so happy that you were able uh, at this busy time of year uh, to spare a little bit of your Friday for us. Uh, one of the things I like to do at the end of each show is give you the opportunity uh, to let our listeners know how they can connect with you. I know there are so many uh, different ways on social media. Where is the first per- place that people should go to find you? Uh, www.leadingwithintentionbook.com. So that's, uh, I, I'm sorry, I was a little, <laughs> let me say that again, www.leadingwithintentionbook.com. 
Um, and that will link you to the book. Uh, it'll link you to uh, a leading with intention assessment that you can take, self-assessment, just to get a sense of how intentional you're being. Um, and it will also link you back to um, my practice, Peak Development, and, and the work that we do there if you have any interest to know more about that. Well, that is terrific. And Mindy, again, thank you so much for your time. And I am uh, just looking forward to sitting down with my pen in hand <laughs> and uh, going, going through the book. And I, I'm definitely going to take your, uh, your online assessment. I love those. Awesome. Chicky, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And have a wonderful uh, Christmas season and uh, have a great weekend. You as well. Thanks again. All right. Thank you so much. And for those of you who'd like to learn more about the Executive Girlfriends Group, just go to executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. And we also have a public Facebook page and then a private uh, Facebook group for our members. Have a great weekend and a happy holiday season.